Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to another week of Trashy Divorces. My name is Stacy. Hey friends, I'm Alicia. Thanks for joining us today on this moving out journey, so to speak. <laughs> we are making a move across Atlanta yes. in the next few weeks. And so little inundated with stuff. So we're pulling out two fantastic stories from our Patreon vault from last month. This mm-hmm. week, Stacy, you're bringing us the tale of a person whose stage name was Fanny Fox. Um, her true name is Annabelle Battistella. She passed away earlier this year. We covered her as a loose woman because she was involved in a fascinating 1974 sex scandal that took down one of the most powerful members of Congress. And we use the word stripper in this story. This is how it was reported at the time. She was an exotic dancer. She wrote a book, though, called The Stripper and the Congressman. That was a really, (laughs) it was a good story. It's a fun story. She lived an amazing life. I mean, she had this moment of notoriety, but uh, again, you'll hear all about it. Just Just an outstanding life lived. And then you have... Oh, gosh. This week, I'm bringing you the Court of Two Queens, the love triangle between Catherine of Aragon, Henry VIII, and Anne Boleyn. It fits in nicely into what is coming for you this Wednesday on Trashy Royals, kind of a prequel to get to there. So the love triangle of my most hated Trashy Divorces (laughs) Mm -hmm. profilee ever. Uh Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Before we get started with the episode, let's go ahead and pull out our magic mirror and give some big love and thanks and praise to our new Supporters this week who've joined us at patreon.com slash trashy divorces. Thank you so much to Jane B, Chelsea, Kendra P, Amy M, Heather B, Mags M. And Allison N and Marquita B, new super supporters. Thank you to all of our new supporters, to all of our existing supporters, and you for joining us today on this historical ride through some trash candy. For sure. Lots of lots of good trash candy here. I think I know what we have to do. What do we have to do, Alicia? We gotta go, go, go. It is my favorite day of the week, Stacey. You got another loose woman for us. I do. I do. This one's fun. I have a firecracker of Oh, I love firecrackers. So uh, on Monday, the former vice president of the United States and the 1984 Democratic presidential nominee, Walter Mondale, passed away. Yeah. Which casts my mind back to the 1970s and American politics. What a magical time it was. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there was a figure who made politics pretty fun there for a minute in the mid-70s. And she also passed away this year, although she, I think, is not as well remembered as someone like Walter Mondale. Her name was Annabelle Battistella, but she is probably best known as Fanny Fox. And uh, hey, Aussies. I love it. Oh, Fanny. Yeah. Australians (laughs) are laughing right now. Stage name Fanny Fox, the Argentine firecracker. uh, And she would almost by accident end the career of a once powerful congressman. What? 
Oh, I love it when oh, yeah. once powerful congressmen once are brought down. Congressman. Tell me this story. Annabelle was born on February 14th, 1936. She's an Aquarius. Va- but a Valentine's Day baby. A Valentine's baby. Day baby. Mm-hmm. Her second husband will also be a Valentine's baby. Anyway. Really? Um, mm-hmm. In a smallish town southeast of Buenos Aires, Argentina. Hike in the Appalachian Trail, as we say here in the States. Anyway, she was one of three kids. And like many women of the era, she left college where she was studying pre-med to follow in her father's footsteps when she got married at the age of 20. Oh, wow. Uh, her her new husband was a pianist named Eduardo Battistella. So she joins his nightclub act as a dancer. Well, that's what she... And there, that is match. absolutely what you do. Of course. Absolute pre-med or nightclub dancer while my husband plays the keys. Uh-huh. A woman of personal interests. She really is. She, yes. Okay. This gets them to Miami, where she began performing in strip clubs because that made more money. Well, yeah. By the way, I will be using the term stripper throughout this. There are probably more modern ways of phrasing this, but in the 60s and 70s. Lexicon um, of the time. Yes. Maybe so, exotic dancer is how you'd be known now. I don't know. We'd yeah, have to check the lingo on that to Burlesque, be perhaps. Sure. I'm not... I think it's a different art form. I, I, think. I, I think so, too. I did go looking. In any case, whatever. So she begins working in strip clubs, performing in strip clubs, because this pays more than she and Eddie's keys tickling. <laughs> They get to Baltimore, Maryland. She continues her career as a performer in strip clubs. Oh, gosh, that's closer to D.C. She gets an agent who is like, hey, Annabelle, you should adopt the stage name Fanny Fox. This will take you far. And she's like, cool. I like it. So she was a Fanny Fox was a legal U.S. resident by 1965. And soon after, she was working in Washington, (laughs) D.C. at a place called the Silver Slipper. The Silver Slipper. Another strip club. While her husband and children lived with her in the Crystal Towers complex in Arlington, Virginia. So a suburb of D.C., I think just south of D.C. Okay. Her marriage with Eddie by this point is pretty much over, but they have three kids. She's pulling in 500 bucks a week at the Silver Slipper, which I looked this up. The the median annual household income in 1970 was just under $10,000 a year. Oh, wow. So she's pulling down two and a half times, basically, just on her own. So she's got Eddie at home. Marriage is over, but he's raising the kids. It it works out. She's obviously working unusual hours as a... (laughs) mm -hmm. So there were, of course, some neighbors there in the Crystal Towers, notably. Got a little suspicious. Congressman Wilbur Mills. Oh, not suspicious. This was the go-go 70s. Go-go 70s. I'm sorry. I forgot for a second. Congressman Wilbur Mills, Mm -mm. born May 24th, 1909. He's a Taurus Gemini cusp. (laughs) Democrat of Arkansas was in his 18th term in the House of Representatives when he and his wife, Clarine, I believe she went by Polly, met this young Argentinian couple who had recently moved into the building. Wilbur had arrived in Congress way back in 1939 when Fanny Fox was all of three years old, and he had assumed the chairmanship of the House Ways and Means Committee, which writes the U.S. tax code. Oh, my God. In 1958, he was by far one of the most powerful members. 18 terms. Fuck. And he ran the money committee in the Congress. That's like a he, big deal. Yeah, he and apparently was quite the tyrant. I mean, nothing happened in Congress that he did not have a hand in. So 
Anyway, as Wilbur. You, yeah, also, as you would expect of an Arkansas congressman of the era, he was a staunch segregationist. But because politics mid-century was just completely weird by today's standards, he was also instrumental in creating Medicare, Social Security, and he supported a national health insurance system while also being considered a fiscal conservative. Wild, right? <laughs> Wild. <laughs> he even ran for president in 1972, trying to win the support of senior citizens by championing a, an annual cost of living adjustment, like a COLA for Social Security. He got trounced by McGovern. We all know how that went, Richard Nixon. Okay, yeah. so uh, there was talk of a Supreme Court seat for him huh. because he had studied law at Harvard under Felix Frankfurter, former Associate Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. Just genuinely a significant person in the American government at this time. He's going to be brought down by a lady named Fanny Fox. Whew. This is a I, the Argentine go. firecracker. So Wilbur and Polly, his wife, meet Annabelle and Eduardo in 1973, and okay. they begin to socialize. They, oh, sure they do. They go dancing together. Oh, Jesus Christ. I'm sure that, <laughs> I'm sure that Annabelle and Eddie were, like, amazing at the tango or something. I don't know. Uh, soon enough, Wilbur was showing up solo at the Silver Slipper, enjoying, enjoying the booze there and, of course, Fanny's company. Fanny was probably not aware that Wilbur's drinking had really picked up during the failed presidential campaign and its aftermath, but by his own account, he was in a very serious alcoholic spiral by this point. Not good. He took her on a three-week junket to Antigua. What? Congressional perk. <gasps> what did Polly say? Well, he was promising Annabelle Fanny that he was going to marry her just as soon as he could get a divorce. Fanny, of course, was still married to Eduardo at this point, but they divorced shortly before the scandal broke in late 74. Oh, my God. So this is how Robert McFadden wrote this up when the New York Times remembered Fanny Fox upon her death in February. The first whiff of trouble broke about 2 a.m. on October 7th, 1974, when two United States Park Service police officers spotted Mr. Mills's car speeding with lights off near the Jefferson Memorial and oh, pulled it no, over. Nope. Apparently panicking, Miss Fox bolted from the car and, yelling in English and Spanish, tried to escape by jumping into the tidal basin, a pot Potomac estuary, oh with God. an average depth of 10 feet. What? The officers pulled her out, handcuffed her when she tried to jump in again, and returned her to the car, where they found Mr. Mills and several other occupants intoxicated. Oh, God. Mr. Mills was bleeding from his nose and facial scratches, and Miss Fox had two black eyes. This is never explained, actually. An officer drove her to a hospital and the others to their homes. The incident might have gone unnoticed, but a television cameraman came upon the scene and recorded it. Oh, shit! <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't... Uh, presumably they had a physical fight in the car? S sounds like. So that's not cool. Anyway, I, I mean, like, impact... They I, just got pulled over. They, they just didn't got crash over. anything. There was no okay. crash. Interesting. Yeah. So that part's huh. weird. I kind of didn't even notice. I mean, I noticed it, but I didn't really. I don't have an explanation for that part of Let's this. Let's investigate. Not loving the potential DV angle there. But anyway. Wow. Here's how David Frum, conservative commentator and former George W. Bush speechwriter, in his 2000 book, How We Got Here, the 70s, the decade that brought you modern life, for better or worse. Yes, David Frum wrote a book called 
how we got here, the 70s, the decade that brought you modern life for better or worse, <laughs> and still got hired by a president to write for him. It's weird. It's weird. <laughs> so he wrote up the aftermath of this. The next morning, all Washington knew who she was, an Argentine-born stripper named Fanny Fox. Shit. With rather more surprise, it also learned who the driver of the car was, Representative Wilbur Mills of Arkansas, chairman, -term chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, the tax writing committee of the House of Representatives. As if that were not enough excitement, Mills flew to Boston a couple of months later and held a drunken press conference in the dressing room of Fox's strip club. <sighs> what? It's not quite, yeah, Frum's a little off on his details there, but also keep in mind, this Tidal Basin foray happened on October 7th in an even-numbered year. Congress is up for re-election in November of even-numbered years. Jesus Christ, so this between, is terrible. between the October Tidal Basin thing and this late November appearance at Boston's Pilgrim Theater, where Wilbur Mills took the stage with Eduardo... <laughs> while Fanny was doing her thing on stage and then had this dressing room press conference after. No. Wilbur had gone back to Arkansas to campaign for re-election to his 19th term, which he won. <laughs> you can fool some of the people all of the time. Okay. I didn't see that kicker coming. He won? He won. In the midst of all of that. Yup. Yup. Yep. <laughs> we like our congressmen loose, too. <laughs> but the Boston trip and the bizarre press conference were apparently wake-up calls for Wilbur, who resigned the chairmanship of the House Ways and Means Committee. Oh, because that's what you did back then when you had shame? Well, he checked himself into an oh, alcohol treatment center, and he did not run for re-election in 1976, leaving the House of Representatives after 38 years. Wow. He would acknowledge later that he was drinking so much so often that his memory of 1974 was shot, including Gone. meetings he had with President Nixon. They just were not in his brain. Nixon probably doesn't remember him either. Yeah, he <laughs> apparently he, him. he apparently also sort of used this to deny knowledge of the affair he was having with Fanny, which I don't recall caused her uh -huh. some personal distress later when he. Was like, yeah, I don't, I just don't remember anything. We just wasted. What about love? <clears throat> but he did put himself and his marriage back together. After his time in Congress, he went to work for a big law firm in D.C. And he established the Wilbur D. Mills Treatment Center for Alcoholism. Oh, well, that's a nice little redemption story. Mm -hmm. As well as the University of Arkansas for... I bet I wrote that wrong. University of Arkansas Medical Sciences, Wilbur D. Mills endowed chairs on alcoholism and drug abuse. Okay. In 1991, he and Polly moved back to Arkansas, where he would die the following year. Um, and Polly followed him in 2001. They are buried beside each other. Oh. What happens to Fanny? Fanny Fox. Meanwhile, <laughs> she was not one to let a little notoriety go to waste. <laughs> <laughs> no longer the Argentinian firecracker, the newly christened Tidal Basin bombshell was now commanding $3,500 a week what? at her old silver slipper haunts. And other people were coming to Colin with offers. Um, there was a two-week engagement at Club Juana in Orlando, Florida. She charged them $30,000 oh. for her time. With all of this interest, uh, she retired from stripping and began acting and working on a tell-all book. 
She was featured in Playboy in 1976 and 1977. Holy cat. She had gigs in Las Vegas. This is perfect. Oh, yeah. She appeared on television talk shows. She had cameos in several movies, including Posse from Heaven, (laughs) about a stripper who becomes a guardian angel to a cowboy. And a documentary. (laughs) (laughs) And a documentary featuring car crashes and nude beauty contests called This is America. (laughs) Oh, God. This is trashy gold. In 1975, her 180-page paperback, co-authored with ghostwriter Yvonne Dunleavy, called The Stripper and the Congressman, covered her wild times with Wilbur and uh, maybe contributed to his decision not to seek re-election in 76. She was rolling in the dough by now, so she picked up an eight-bedroom home in Westport, Connecticut. Fantastic! And she married her business manager, Daniel Montgomery, in 1980. He's the Valentine's Day baby, like her. Oh, wow. So this marriage didn't last. They divorced in 85, um, but they had a daughter together and remained lifelong friends and confidants. Mm -hmm. Fanny Fox. So for the rest of her life, she would go by Annabelle Montgomery, his last name. She moved with the kids to St. Petersburg, Florida in the 80s. And for whatever reason, she headed back to school like for the rest of her life. She picked up a bachelor's degree in communications from the University of Tampa in 1995, then a master's in marine science in 2001. Oh, my God. And then another master's in business administration in 2004. Fanny Fox, American hero. No kidding. Her son, Alex, says that she became a scuba diving master at the University of South Florida (laughs) and went to Cozumel, Mexico to do some underwater filming like you do do. in your 70s. That is amazeballs. (laughs) She stayed close to ex-husband Daniel Montgomery. Their daughter, Melanie, passed from a heart problem in 2017, which is devastating. Um. But, I mean, Daniel spoke to the Tampa Bay Times when um, Annabelle Fanny Fox passed away this year, telling them that in her later years, she worked in the University of South Florida's marine biology lab studying a parasite called Cryptosporidium, which is apparently one of the more serious waterborne pathogens that can get into municipal drinking water. Ooh. And that's actually specifically the microbe that we are always under boil water advisories every time Atlanta's infrastructure fails every three weeks. Spider webs. (laughs) So um, potentially, you know, significant work. Prior to that, in her not famous Florida years, she also worked as an insurance consultant working with businesses that had suffered losses, including during the nightmarish 2004 and 2005 hurricane seasons in Florida, which yeah. spawned like Hurricane Katrina and Ivan. And were like, it was, they were very, very bad. Annabelle Montgomery died on February 10th, 2021, four days shy of her 85th birthday. Holy cats. I was too young to experience the famous part of her life in real time. Um, <laughs> I really only heard of her after her death. But glancing through all of the things that are readily available about her life, Firecracker is certainly an apt descriptor. Annabelle did not just embrace life, she bear-hugged it and then danced with it, careening through the world on her own terms and chasing her own interests wherever they led her. Cozumel, Mexico to do- I'm just gonna do some underwater filming. Yeah, I'm 70. (laughs) You go, Annabelle. That is my favorite loose woman story so far, <laughs> Fanny Fox. That was <laughs> that is, awesome. That is American hero Fanny Fox. 
Argentinian American yes. hero. Yes. Amaze balls. I loved it. That was great. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks everybody for tuning in. I hope that you enjoyed that ride. I had no idea. Same. Same. It was Same. today years old Same. when I learned about Fanny Fox and now I want to go find out more. Oh yeah. We got to find the stripper and the congressman. <laughs> <laughs> On the hunt in dollar bookstores. Yes. All right, friends. Hey, we love y'all so much. Thank you for tuning in and being awesome and being patient. It seems like we are quietly. <laughs> We're crossing our fingers. We're on. crossing our fingers. We've got a few more things to do today. They're replacing their deck. I worked it out. I looked out the window and saw what they were up to. You worked it out by looking out the window? Well, I don't like to. Let's investigate. Yeah, I get it. We're, it's a city. It's We're all bunched up on we each other we up try on to respect other. everybody's privacy anyway thanks y'all their deck <laughs> keep your hands clean keep your hearts trashy wear a mask we can't wait to see you back get on a, the flip get a vax that's it all of it love y'all bye have a great day <laughs> bye today's episode is sponsored by apostrophe a prescription skincare company for people who are ready to take their acne seriously. And not just acne. Now being of a certain age myself, my skin challenges have changed over time. Apostrophe makes it easy to see a board-certified dermatologist online. There's an online questionnaire about your skin concerns and medical history, snap a few selfies, and then get a customized treatment plan just for you. Your topical and oral medications are delivered to your home fast and painlessly. Apostrophe is also a great choice for the teens in your life who may be going through that fun stage of things. Apostrophe is available for teens as young as 14. I wish there had been a service like this when I was that age because acne was so embarrassing and I definitely did not want to talk to a doctor about it. Get $15 off your first visit with a board-certified dermatologist at apostrophe.com trashy and use our code trashy this code is only available to our listeners to get started just go to apostrophe.com slash trashy and click begin visit then use the code trashy at sign up and you'll get 15 dollars off your dermatology visit that's apostrophe.com slash trashy and use that code trashy to get your dermatology visit for 15 dollars off and again we thank apostrophe for sponsoring our podcast today Hey, Trash Pandas, when you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and, I don't know, exposing official corruption? All in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island, from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. This story has so many twists and turns. Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother, but that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondery's podcast, Dis and Tell, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Belisai. 
Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disentel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Believe it or not, this is 2021, and the second verse does not have to be the same as the first. If you would like to get some help changing your tune, the ladies of the Oak Tree Group are ready and willing to help you. They believe in empowerment through knowledge. The Oak Tree Group is offering each of our listeners a free one-hour consultation on your financial concerns. It is your money, so there are no bad questions. Start the year off right and get your finances singing. Contact the women of the Oak Tree Group for assistance. Yep, that is right. All of the holistic planners at the Oak Tree Group are female. Check out their website, www.theoaktreegroup.net, for contact details and more information on their services. Don't worry, the musical references in this ad are just for fun and not a requirement of the services offered. Again, their website is www.theoaktreegroup.net. It's today, a special episode of Trashy Tudor Tidbits. Let me interject briefly as this is, I, I yes, we're going to do Tudor Hot Goss in a minute because this is your jam, but um, I have just received a text message from who? Double E, alerting me. <gasps> oh, this is big news. Gawker is going to be back revived gawker.com which uh, was murdered by peter Thiel in the hulk hogan Mm -hmm. sex tape lawsuit the property is still out there and a former gawker writer will be helming gawker 2.0 it is a day for joy and celebration i cannot wait for the trenchant expose on donald trump jr's cocaine dealer it is right. a day of joy and celebration. And we've specifically like bemoaned the loss of Gawker in um, the modern era. For sure. So For sure. anyway, now on okay. to cooler things. Yeah. Got the nicest email mm-hmm. from one of our Patreon trash pandas last night. Lisa was nice enough to remind me that I had not yet done this particular episode I promised it. I promised it a few times, y'all. I've mentioned episodes we should follow up on. If there's something out there that I'm like, we should follow up on that and I haven't, I want to tell you the stories you want to hear. So Lisa was like, oh, Alicia, if I've missed this, let me know. But I am desperate to hear about the Court of Two Queens. And it is the season. Oh, tis the season. You're about to get real mad about Anne Boleyn's murder date. 
Every year. Every year. Lisa, thank you for your email. This was a great day to do it. Um, I'm not going to promise a two-hour turnaround time for future stories like today is, but it's Tudor stuff. And I spent all day yesterday in Done and Done in a very sort of tragic, heart-wrenching story. And this is just as tragic at heart and heart-wrenching, but then I have the added hatred of the Pratt Wanker King overlord that was Henry VIII to add to the fire. So welcome to the Court of Two Queens. Pratt Wanker King. Overlord. Overlord. There you go. Okay, because April 12th, 1533. Yeah. Is today. today? Yeah, today is Monday, April 12th. <laughs> In this case in 1533 it was a saturday mm-hmm. but april 12 1533 anne boleyn is going to make her very first public appearance as queen it's at greenwich palace which is now the location of what? on this day 488 years That's ago exactly right the okay. old royal naval college is on the site of greenwich palace now kind of a big deal but anyway anne boleyn it's easter april 12 1533 anne boleyn is going to attend mass Clad in cloth of gold, four months along in her pregnancy with Elizabeth. And I just want y'all to benchmark this for fun. Easter 1533. Today, Anne. Going in. Officially married and pregnant. Not officially. Unofficially married, officially pregnant. In Easter 1536, that Easter mass, three years later when it all begins to fall apart for her. That's the Jezebel sermon and Cromwell, oh, <coughs> I'm so sick and I'm leaving court to plot, plot her mm-hmm. machinations for her murder. Okay. it <laughs> April 12th, 1533, that Easter, 60 maids of honor are present. Mary Howard will carry Anne Boleyn's train. Mary Howard, as you remember, goes on to marry Henry Fitzroy the illegitimate son of Hank Eight and Bessie Blount, right? In 1533, all the usual suspects are lurking, Chapuis, but the prayers that are offered to Anne Boleyn for the very first time are no longer to the Marchioness of Pembroke. They are to Queen. The King is watching all of this. Thomas Cranmer... Anne's champion has recently been promoted to Archbishop of Canterbury as well. Cranmer is going to be the voice of God in the opinion when finally, May 23rd, 1533, so like six weeks later, the marriage of Henry and Catherine of Aragon is declared invalid. And Henry and Anne, even though they got married in January of 1533, that dissolution finally of the marriage with Catherine and Henry Three days later, we'll get Henry and Anne to be declared valid May 28th. So Easter, she's addressed as queen. May 23rd, the marriage to Catherine is invalid. May 28th, five days later, the marriage to Anne is declared valid. Three days after that is going to be her crowning as queen, riding through the streets and the pageants and the parades and all that. But that's not what we're any of what we're talking about today. Fooled you. Because we're going to go back a few years. <laughs> okay. And talk specifically about the Royal Love Triangle happening from like 1525 on. We have been all around the bend 
with a lot of trashy cheaters. But this stuff, this is the juice, man. This is the gold. It's trashy. Bring it. Bring it. Is there a woman to blame? Put away your margaritas, friends. It's all fucking Henry VIII's fault. Every last bit of it. He is the woman to blame. Because Anna's made out to be like, is she an angel or is she a devil? And Catherine, is she the devoted, deserted wife or is she the schemer behind the scenes? And like Henry, Pratt, wanker, asshole, king, overlord, why can't it be all of it? <laughs> no, this is not my ganders fired up now. I'm, I'm into it. So history is going to blame Anne Boleyn for a lot of Henry's actual hot takes. Anne's history is erased, just like a number of his wives. But it is erased the most with her, though. Uh, Inofficial records, even on the carvings, right? You still have that one carving that's left in Hampton Court with her initial on it because the workers move so fast. You erase all part of her. Like, poor... Oh my God, like all of her portraits are destroyed. That's why we don't know what she looks like. And poor Elizabeth has that little secret ring that, you know, one of her Boleyn relatives gives her with the picture of her mom inside of it, like that little cameo, and she sets in a ring for herself. Oh God, it's so sad. And Catherine of Aragon's not going to fare any better by the end of the day, because when she dies, she's buried as the widow of Prince Arthur, right? There's no mention of the quarter of a century she has served as Queen of England. Wow, I either didn't know that detail or it. I'd forgotten mm-hmm. it. Um, that sucks. She's buried as the Arthur's... dowager widow of Arthur. No mention of her being married to Henry. Yeah, although I guess legally, if they just voided the marriage, um, I, I guess technically that's bizarre but also accurate in a very legalistic sense Henry's terrible he's terrible so like poor Catherine of Aragon think about it like child of two reigning monarchs rightfully queen 25 years she's dignified she is religious she has um divers pregnancies right Mm -hmm. only has one child to live who is a girl so no male heir like Mary's the one left standing and she's like sixth attempt at pregnancy if i'm not mistaken five or six like and catherine of aragon has turned a blind eye to all the mistresses and all the dalliances and like henry and catherine marry in 1509 they've had two decades of bliss at least for henry like save the loss of sons he's pretended to go to war uh he shouts a lot he beds a lot of ladies he signs some stuff he you know, is in the Santa Claus float at the parade. Like, it's good to be king. I mean, you read some love letters he wrote to Anne Boleyn. He occasionally had a softer side. <laughs> God, I'm mad about it. All right. <laughs> By the early 1520s, Anne Boleyn, though, is back in town, returning from court, French court. She's back in England. And she makes her big presentation in the Chateau Vert, the green tower pageant thing. She, again, plays Perseverance. Catherine of Aragon is at that pageant, yawning. Like, oh, God, here's this new girl from France. Like, Catherine of Aragon knows Anne Boleyn. She knows all of her relatives. Sure, she's young and pretty and smart, but just like every other woman, my husband has made his way through. 
Anne Boleyn is one of my ladies in waiting. She's no threat to me. Right. She serves me. I am her loyalty. Right. Like it is what it is. There is an order of the world, and I am the queen, and I my am the queen, and this my is and it. my king will fuck around, but she's. I'm still with her twenty fucking hours a day, and I've suffered through worse. And I'll go to mass and offer my pain up for the souls in purgatory. Like, whatever. And Bolin is not, she's not, not even registering mm-hmm. is any kind of threat right. on Catherine's radar. No I mean, why would she? Yeah. Both ladies in the lens of time, though. Hank 8, it turns out, is a psychopath. Well, no, he is a psychopath. Yeah. And, and through the, the lens of history's rewriting, both Anne and Catherine get kind of a shit reputation. But in the current day at the time, I need you to know that Catherine of Aragon is nothing but a saint to Anne Boleyn. She never shows anger. She never shows displeasure. She, in fact, will extol Anne because Anne brings delight to the king. Good Lord, what a load of crap. Like, A.B. may be hot stuff, but Catherine... Is going to know Anne Boleyn. They're hanging out every day. And Anne Boleyn is back from France. And she's in love with Wyatt or Percy or any other one of the suitors she has. She's not involved in the king who is hot over me. I have other boyfriends. Did I mention that your stupid husband brought me back from the time of my life I was having in France to marry this hick from Ireland and then decided that that wasn't even going to go through and now he stops my other love affairs? Catherine and Catherine and Anne Boleyn are friends is what I'm telling you. This is the thing that's going to rock your world. Are you ready? Catherine. Oh my God. I'm going to go back to the script because it's, it's, it's too much. I get, I get too into it. Okay. Um, Catherine of Aragon has done this. She knows this game. She knows this is not the first time one of her ladies-in-waiting have come to her to say, hey, do you mind getting your husband off my back? So there is some evidence to suggest that Anne Boleyn goes to Catherine. Like, hey, do you think that you could perhaps kindly talk to your husband and, uh, have him leave me alone. I wonder if it was phrased more like, I, I, I want to marry him. Like, I, yeah, I, I really I, like so-and-so mm-hmm. and he has made certain offerings or whatever. Yeah. And I would I perhaps, because you can't speak ill of the king, certainly not to no, the queen. but like, I am interested in all these other things. Like, I, let me assure you, right. Queen Catherine, I am not a threat to you. Right. Will you please lobby? I have lobby. Um, yeah, you know, all of this is making me really uncomfortable. I'm a little older. I do not have a husband yet. I would like to secure my place. And like, mm-hmm. I don't want to say your husband's holding me up, but he's kind of holding me up, man. Right. Okay. Meanwhile, I mean, all of these people live in a world where divorce is not a thing that really happens. It's super rare. So wait for and it. like a monarch does not that because it, it messes with like the godly universal order so so there is no absolutely no expectation that like wow i could lose my husband here no (laughs) no it is like nobody's even thinking that so Mm -hmm. one of the most famous things that happens in this court of two queens because there's evidence that catherine tries to help her too there's this famous quote that catherine makes in a card game that she's playing with Anne. like catherine will invite henry and other people to play right and the the famous line from this, because Anne like trumps her whatever hand and has kings. 
And it is reported that Catherine makes this famous remark. My Lady Anne, you have good hap to stop at the king, but you are not like the others. You will have all or none. Now, I want you to think about what if this is not just a pointed remark to, oh, here's this hot little hussy scheming for my husband. But in fact, Henry's playing cards with him. A gentle to a reminder to the king. She's unavailable, man. I'm your legal wife. There's a pope. There's no divorcing me. Like, none of what you want to do is even a possibility here, bucko. My Lady Anne, you are not like the others. You will have all or none. Essentially, like, that to me is, you got none. There's there's nowhere, dude, babe, can you, there's nowhere for this to go. Okay, even Catherine of Aragon's ladies will start going to the queen, talking bad about Anne Boleyn. And Catherine will say here, God, this is the thing that's going to wrench you. Pray for her, because the time would come when you shall pity and lament her case. Wow. How prophetic is that? That kind of gets you in the gut, right? Pray for her, because the time would come when you shall pity and lament her case. Do you think her expectation at that point was that Anne would likely end up pregnant and raising like Henry's bastard son and possibly not really marriageable. That's absolutely a possibility. But Catherine is remaining loyal to Anne for a few years. Like she's got Anne's side in this whole thing until big mama Kay gets wind that Henry has in fact been making a lot of plans for annulment from big mama Kay for like the last two years. Big mama Kay being Catherine. Catherine, Queen Catherine. Yeah. Aragon. Okay. And Catherine's like, yeah, simply is not going to do So this is the one and only time, like, in documented evidence that Catherine is even the slightest bit mean to Anne. She will write to uh, Holy Roman Emperor Charles, her nephew, in this letter about that Anne is the great scandal of Christendom. That's where that comes from. But, I mean, this is late in the game. Anne and Catherine are friends. Like, oh, God. Because, like, poor Anne. Like, what's happening on her part? She gets to England, lots of boys, pretty cool, at court, looking to make my future. You're the cock blocking my marriage proposals, right? So Henry VIII and Woolsey, right, block that. And sure, I bet Anna's going to work him some displeasure. But, oh my God, Henry is hounding Anne. Like, go back and see those letters. And I talked about Anne being a a reluctant girlfriend because she's like, dude, I've been in France. I know how to play court games. But whatever way you thought I was into you, man, uh, you're king. I, I can't make you mad. You're so handsome and strong and virile and all that jazz, but I'm not interested. Like, to even where she's leaving court and going back to Hever, like, to get away. Why haven't you written me back? I've only sent you a buck every day for, oh my God, dude, get the hint. Yeah, like, you you didn't return my text right away. God. I was in the shower. I don't want your harsh big dreams of love, man. You're married, and even if I could marry you, I wouldn't quit writing me letters. I'm out. By 1527, Henry, the heart wants what, like, there, there's no swaying him. He wants Anne Boleyn, no matter what Anne Boleyn wants. And Catherine of Aragon is not exiled from court until 1531. 
So we have four years in play where the three of them are living together, Henry, Anne, and Catherine, in the court of two queens. Catherine, her job, she comes to functions where the queen is needed. I always think about, we just passed it, Maundy Thursday. I think about Catherine every Monday, Thursday, because that was her jam. Like, she's caring for people, and her role is at the state head of the government. And, like, Henry, when he has functions, you know, they dine, they laugh, they dance. They're they're absolutely seen as the presented couple for this time. Catherine is doing all of her queenly shit. But as soon as the event ends, oh, 1101, I'm out. Henry's going to Anne on the other side of the castle, at least in her time off, because Anne, for the remainder of the day, is lady-in-waiting to Queen Catherine. Like, it's awkward turtle, right? Think, just imagine the awkwardness of that. Right? You're the king, but your wife is my queen and my boss. Not awkward for Henry, which is all that matters. He's got two women who care and attend to all of his kingly needs, and I guess that's great if you're Henry. All right. One of the most famous dust-ups happens around Henry's shirts. Because Catherine is the queen. She has been embroidering Henry's shirts for going on 20 years now, and Henry likes the way he does her shirts, and Anne Bullen is mad. Like, you can't. Give your wife your shirts to embroider if you want to have Henry. This is Antonia Frazier writing in Her Wives of Henry VIII. It is a good book if you need one. When it comes to bios overall of the six wives, David Starkey, stay away from it. Antonia Frazier, really good, really comprehensive, a little bit shorter than Allison Weir, which is like twice the length, but Allison Weir, great too. Frazier Weir. If you want an Anne Boleyn biography, hands down, Eric Ives. You will do no better than that at the current moment. Anyway, Antonia Frazier, writing about the embroidered shirt brouhaha. Anne created one of her angry scenes when she found one of the servants of his privy chamber taking the linens to the queen in order that the king should have his shirts made. No doubt for the good sound masculine reason that Catherine had always done so, and he wanted the shirts he knew. On this occasion, the king refused to give in and confirmed the linen was sent on his instructions. Scandal! Such jealousy on the part of the lady seemed highly unreasonable to Queen Catherine's supporters, and it lost nothing in the telling. At the same time, Anne Boleyn had a point. Sewing the king's shirts did have a symbolic significance. Queen Catherine, in continuing to do so, was being allowed by King Henry to assert the rights of a wife. Four years of this fucking nonsense, Henry pulls. But Catherine, dignified, royal AF, she will not be swayed. I'm Henry's true wife. We've been together two decades. I did not have sex with Arthur. I am adamant in my belief that I am not burning in hell and fire and damnation for your sins. Hank, bucko, prat, wanker, twat, overlord. And Catherine, as well, is looking to secure her daughter Mary's place, right? Because Henry has signed over Henry Fitzroy, illegitimate son, into the line of secession. Like, my God, Catherine puts up with it all. And like, 
This goes on like this for a minute, with Henry trying to get his annulment done by the time May 1529 comes around in the court at Blackfriars, the legate court. And even here, Catherine of Aragon's finest hour, she still isn't down in her speech where she reduces, humiliates Henry. This is the reason why Henry is so cruel to her. Through After 1530, she embarrassed him in public. Hmm. You have embarrassed me in public, but all in this speech. She doesn't say shit about Anne Boleyn. I mean, Anne Boleyn, like... Anne Boleyn is not the problem. Yeah, yeah, this is... Uh... Literally, doesn't say a word about Anne. She knows Henry, okay? It's 1529. She's been married to him two fucking decades, man. And she knows his love of pomp and spectacle... And on this day, she sure as fuck is going to give him one. Love it. Not the one he anticipated. Because Henry's a like dog with a bone. He's used to people doing what he wants, when they want, like when he wants, any time. And Catherine of Aragon, not rolling over. Do you want to hear this speech again? It's such a good speech. Okay. Because it's not about Anne. I want you to listen to it not hearing any of the not about Anne. Sir, I beseech you. For all the loves that hath between us, and for the love of God, let me have justice and right. Take of me some pity and compassion, for I am a poor woman and stranger born out of your dominion. I have here no assured friend, and much less indifferent counsel. I plead to you as the head of justice within this realm. Alas, sir, where have I offended you? On what occasion have you displeasure that you intended to put me from you? I take God and all the world to witness that I have been to you a true, humble, and obedient wife, ever comfortable to your will and pleasure. I have been pleased and contented with all the things wherein you had delight and dalliance. I never grudged a word or countenance or showed a spark of discontent. I loved all those whom ye loved only for your sake, whether I had cause or no whether they were my friends or enemies. This twenty years and more, I have been your true wife, and by me ye have had diverse children, though it hath pleased God to call them out of this world, which hath been no fault in me. And when ye had me at the first, I take God to be my judge, I was a true maid, without touch of man, and whether it be true or no, you put it to your conscience. If there be any just cause by the law that you can allege against me, either of dishonesty or any other impediment to put me from you, I am well content to depart to my shame and dishonor. If there be none, I must lowly beseech you, let me remain in my former estate and receive justice at your princely hands. The king, your father, was accounted in his day as a second Solomon for wisdom. And my father, Ferdinand, was esteemed one of the wisest kings that had ever reigned in Spain. It is not about them, as was thought fit by their high discretion. Also, there were in those days as wise, as learned men, as there are at this present in both realms, who thought then the marriage between me and you was good and lawful. It is a wonder to hear what new inventions are invented against me, who never intended but honesty, that caused me to stand to the order and judgment of this new court, wherein you may do me so much wrong. 
if you intend any cruelty. For ye may condemn me for lack of sufficient answer, having no indifferent counsel. Ye must understand that they cannot be indifferent counselors which be your subjects, and taken out of your counsel beforehand, and dare not, for your displeasure, disobey your will and intent. Therefore, most humbly do I require you, in the way of charity and for the love of God, to spare me the extremity of this court, until I may be advertised in what way an order my friends in Spain will advise me to take. And if ye will not extend to me so much favor, your pleasure then be fulfilled, and to God I commit my cause. Now, did I mention she's laying down when she's doing this? So then she stands up, she drops her mic, and she walks the fuck out. Straightens her crown. Oh, my God. Leaving Henry VIII mortified, embarrassed, speechless. Sure. The crowd is like, you can hear a pin drop. I'm sure. What the fuck did we just see? Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that speech is like it. Writers are writing as fast as. Okay. Did you get that second paragraph? Mm-hmm. Holy cats. No diss on A.B. Catherine is speaking out against Henry and the basis he is using as the claims for his annulment. Any resentment to Anne Boleyn that she has, any feelings of betrayal, not seen in that. Like, we can take a lesson from her. Decidedly not trashy. In 1529. What is trashy? Are the men in the power plays that are happening behind the scenes. We've talked about Tudor court factions for a long time now, and we're going to see it again with Anne's death in 1536. Like, 10 years later, we're still doing the same thing here. It's all about religion, Catholic versus the new religion, and who holds the power, right? You're with Anne on the religious reformer side, or you're with Catherine on the old school conservative side, right? So that legate court is 1529. Catherine of Aragon at court for two more years. She's not out of the castle until 1531. Because what is wrong with you, Pratt King Overlord? God. Henry wants the best of both worlds. Yeah, does she at least get to quit mending his shirts or whatever? Embroidering his shirts? And still attending her. Okay. Oh Oh my God. So with the death of Thomas Woolsey in November, end of November 1530, this opens up a very nice opportunity for a little dirty digs, a little new real estate for my potential new bride, Annie B. Hampton Court Palace, you may have heard of it. Henry's been working on renoing Hampton Court for a while now, but with Woolsey dead, there's no one who can possibly object. Remember, Woolsey gives it to him in order to not get killed by the king. But that, yeah. I mean, Henry doesn't kill Woolsey. I think Woolsey will, in fact, almost kill himself before Henry can do it. He's on his way for Henry to kill him until... Mysteriously, he dies the night before. Okay. Plans are underway for Henry and Anne to get the fuck out, right? But Henry, one old bag of dicks, 1531... He's going to banish Catherine of Aragon, but he doesn't even banish her. He just leaves. He just packs up with Anne and the entire court loading shit into buggies. He doesn't send any message. to Like, Catherine's not given the order we're moving court on this day. It's, don't tell Catherine. So, like, all the buggies are getting, like, 
where's all my where am I where's my shit going, yeah. guys? Like what 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 are we doing? Yeah. No. Henry, Anne, and like half the court, boom, right out. One spring day in 1531, never says a word to Catherine of Aragon. He will send her a little letter a little bit later. Um, <laughs> weather is beautiful. Wish she were here. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> uh, no, he's like, I don't even wish you were here. You should take off for a country estate. And the further you can get away, the better. And by the time I get back to this castle, your shit needs to be gone. He broke up with her by email. Stone cold, <laughs> man. So 1531, the tables are kind of shifting. Like, Henry's serious. And Catherine is not going to take this line down. Like, no more Miss Nice Queen. She refuses to be called the Princess Dowager. She will only be addressed as Queen Catherine. And if you call her anything different, you're dismissed from her. Like, the same thing her daughter does with her, I'm still going to say mash. You can tell me all you want to, but I'm fucking princess, so deal with it. Catherine will continue to write letters to the Pope and her nephew, She's writing to Mary at this point. She does see Mary, but Catherine and Mary won't see each other for the last year of Catherine's life because the longer Catherine won't give in to Henry, the crueler Catherine's treatment gets over time. Okay. It's terrible. It's a tricky position for Catherine to be in, right? She doesn't want to tell Mary that her father is an asshole, but her father's an asshole. So it's probably easier to blame Anne. Mary has a lot of hatred for Anne and Elizabeth. Yeah. No, I think it's also a crime to call the king an asshole at that point in history, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Catherine is becoming lonelier, more secluded, grows paranoid. Oh, wow. How? How did that happen? Even though she's in remote, whatever, Kimbleton Castle, there's still spies everywhere mm-hmm. in the English court system. Sure. So Catherine eventually begins making her own meals on her own fireplace in her own bedroom because she's so terrified that she's going to be poisoned. Yeah. I mean, people are saying Anne Boleyn wants to kill you, but Anne Boleyn doesn't like, yeah, doesn't Henry right. wants to kill you. He just hadn't worked out how to make that happen yet until wife two. Guys, such oh, I'm mad. Yes. Oh, okay. Delightfully so. Love it. All right. AB is not your problem, Catherine. And she knows it. And Henry is the problem, but you can't admit in a monarchical system that the king is the problem. Yeah. Okay. Anne and Henry do marry. Let's go back to the beginning of the story. 1533. There's the Easter First mention is queen. There's the crowning in May. There's the baby in September. But again, Catherine not speaking ill of Anne Boleyn. Like she may be writing a bunch of shit to marry her daughter, but court spies, whatever. Like everyone's telling Catherine Anne is a threat to you. Anne wants to kill you and Mary. Henry's playing both sides against each other in this. And it just makes me angry. Okay. And Catherine's not going away quietly. To me, this is what makes the breakup with Anne of Cleves so interesting because Anne of Cleves does go so quietly, right? Catherine fights to her death for five years about this where Anne of Cleves is like, hmm, could be your sister. I get Richmond Palace and Heaver and all these sweet beehives. Where do I sign, buddy? Okay, five years. Catherine's still going to quietly make noise for Henry VIII. 
She can cause some displeasure from factions that are loyal to Catholicism and Mary. And Henry VIII, again, so mad. He just, he's, she's funk dog. He just continues to downgrade what's a shittier castle we can put her in. She had three rooms at that castle and it got to 48 degrees last year. Fuck that. We're going to give her one room in Kimbledon Castle, the coldest, remotest castle I've got. God. The closest to poverty Catherine's been since Henry's father, Hank Seven, left her high and dry after the death of Arthur. So Catherine will end up in Kimbleton Castle. Three servants broke. One room in the castle. Hasn't seen her daughter Mary in a year. January 7th, she will pass away. 1536. 1536, year of three queens, right? Because you still have Catherine, Anne, and Jane Seymour. January 7th, Catherine dies. Cancer, more than likely. People say it's a broken heart, but she'd been ill and she knew she was dying. Even on her deathbed, she is writing to fucking Henry VIII. Never stops loving him. I want you to listen to this. This is just is remarkable. And the last letter she pins to her husband. My most dear Lord, King and husband, the hour of my death now drawing on, the tender love I owe you forceth me, my case being such to commend myself to you and to put to you in remembrance with a few words of the health and safeguard of your soul, which you ought to prefer before all worldly matters and before the care and pampering of your body, for the which you have cast me into many calamities and yourself into many troubles. For my part, I pardon you everything, and I wish to devoutly pray God that he will pardon you also. For the rest, I commend unto you our daughter Mary, beseeching you to be a good father unto her, as I have heretofore desired. I entreat you also on behalf of my maids to give them marriage portions, which is not much, they being but three. For all my other servants, I solicit the wages due them in a year more, lest they be unprovided for. Lastly, I make this vow that mine eyes desire you above all things, Catherine the Queen. Now, I want you, because you've heard now, this is Catherine's dying li- I Number one, I'm worried about your fucking soul. Compare that to Anne Boleyn's lady from the tower letter, right? Where she is like, you raised me. I'm worried about your soul. I'm content to die. I need you to do these things. Like it's the same, it's the mm-hmm. same letter. Um, two very different women, two very different stylistic approaches, but there are a lot of parallels in it. Both are overwhelmingly worried about the state and care of Henry's soul and where it's going to be for acting the way he has towards them. Be so much easier if you could just call the king an asshole. Do you think that's genuine, though? Or was that the contemporary way of, in the same way that sort of, I, I have a certain set of overbearing religious relatives who will often offer to pray for me, which is like a it's a backhanded thing, right? It, it's like, not backhanded okay, then. You're okay. always, pre- there's every saint sure. has a day you saw, like, you're, there's a book of hours that tells you who you need to pray for that hour. Gotcha. Okay. It is so ingrained into the, now this probably because Anne is a little bit more towards the newer religion. I mean, Henry is too, Henry and Anne never leave Catholicism. 
Anna's not the first Protestant queen. That is Catherine Parr. Catherine Parr is so far removed, but Anna's the one who is at least, you know, given the credit for supplanting these ideas. But Anna's the excuse. Henry is the driver, right? Was there also any kind of, um, like, was there personal animosity between Henry and the Pope? I've wondered about that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because Henry's going to declare, okay, Henry had gotten the title of Defender of the Faith for some whatever nonsense he wrote high in the palace in the 1510s. And he's lauded to be this great champion of the papal system, but then gets excommunicated after this whole Catherine of Aragon thing. Right. I'm just wondering, like, was there some kind of like tit for tat happening yes. between him and, and the Pope leading up to all years. of this? Okay. For years. So he was, he was. It's a chessboard. He Every... was pushing mm -hmm. boundaries the whole time. Okay. And I'm not going to say it's a chessboard. I'm going to say it's a risk game because you've got England, Scotland, France, Spain and the Holy Roman Empire. Catholicism playing in that. It is one big board game. And every time somebody titches, moves a set of troops, uh, commissions a new coin, negotiates a new marriage contract. Um, it is spider webs. It is people just reacting. It is countries and political players reacting for hundreds of years every time somebody flinches. Yes. Great, and great, uh, great observation. And I think similarly to Catherine not being able to envision a world where a monarch would divorce or annul or, right. you know, whatever he ended up doing, I'm sure. All right. So it looks like Martin Luther lived 1483 to 1546. Mm -hmm. um, so like Protestantism was in the air a bit, but I'm sure the Pope couldn't conceive that a monarch would take a nation it's not protestantism at this time it is right um, it's uh, can we negotiate to have the bible printed in english um maybe uh we don't need to pray for 10 hours a day maybe there's it it wasn't they nobody was going in to necessarily destroy catholicism it was it's the same shit we're dealing with today how do we adjust religion, traditional religion, to the framework in which people live? So I guess it's um, on some level comparable to what the Protestants, Methodists, Baptists are doing with gay people. No, you can't be in our church or you can't. Like, it's the same kind of, like those tectonic shifts mm -hmm. that happen with, you have this formal church and the Pope is deciding all of this. So the people are like, hey, wait. We'd like a little bit more input in how and what we celebrate in the ways we do it. Maybe we could hear something in English and not in Latin. Right. Um, you know, because mass at the time, like it's all said in Latin. Well, and there was also the a priest back is to you. You're not connected in any way to God. Yeah, there was a significant extraction of wealth flowing from the rest of, you know, Christendom or whatever to basically to Italy that I think rubbed a lot of people the wrong way after a certain point. So Well, and Henry's big conversion to not Catholicism didn't have anything to do with uh, right. <laughs> being kind of some moral high observer of, of religious Of course belief. not. It is, hey, instead of all this money going to Italy, 
this money can go to me. Me. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, no, I, I get Henry's motivations here, which are many and all very self-serving. Okay. I, I don't think there was any, you know, what we need to do is reform this here religion to make it better for people. Because that just... <laughs> I don't think poor people have enough rights in my country. I'm making a declar. I'm going to sign some mm. shit. All right. I want to talk about one more thing before we wrap this up. And it's going to go back to the color schema of yellow, because this is a thing that makes me really angry. Um, Again, you can't rely on any report of Chapuis. You can't rely on most ambassadors, because most ambassadors, right, are the ones that are pulling the strings of their flinch, 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 I'm in the country risk game. Oh, my God. However. However, Catherine dies January 7th and it the one of the most famous things reported about her death is that Henry and Anne and Elizabeth all wore yellow and they had a big fucking party and jousts and celebrations and feasts and because yellow is associated like as a color of happiness I'm mad about it again nothing reliable has ever come out of the mouth of Chapuis he will report that Anne Boleyn and Henry VIII are thrilled and partying like it's 1999, that Catherine's dead. They'll parade Elizabeth around. And January 7th, let's just, I just want you to see how easily this could get swayed in a historical record that is never going to be kind to Anne Boleyn. January 7th, the day that Catherine dies, is the day after Twelfth Night. January 6th is Twelfth Night. That's when it, that's when it ended. My feeling is that probably Twelfth Night, holiday celebrations, plenty of things are blended in to how that gets misperceived. Also, Anne is pregnant, and she is in the process of decorating her lying-in chamber at Eltham Palace in yellow. The color scheme is yellow for that child as she's prepping to, as she's prepping for her confinement. I'm just mad about it. Like, celebration... I don't, I don't know. I'm sure Henry's celebrating because he finally has, you know, his pesky ex-wife off his back. But Anne Boleyn, there is one reporter, not reporter, um, Senor Dentaville, uh, reports that Anne locks herself away in her oratory and weeps after she hears the news. Now, there are a lot of ways to imagine why and how Anne are crying in this private time she's having with herself. She hasn't miscarried yet. She doesn't know about the affair with Jane Seymour. Henry has not fallen in his joust for real. I'm going to fuck myself up accident yet. All of these things at this date are three weeks away. So that's something to think about. Just like she's, is she crying for a queen? Her mistress? Like, you know, there's probably women don't kill that bond with each other, right? Like, Anne is gravely mourning for the queen, whatever Henry's going to do about it. And at the end of the day, this is my summation. There is no woman to blame. Henry is the king. The buck started with him. He killed the buck. He sent it to whoever. The buck ends with him. God, I hate that dude. Henry is utterly, completely responsible for Catherine of Aragon's cruel treatment and Anne Boleyn's cruel treatment. And I hate how history plays the two women against each other in this game because they both paid the price of what happens when you humiliate Pratt wanker king overlord asshole Henry the eighth Catherine did it at court Anne Boleyn 
does it in her, hey, maybe you shouldn't shut down the monasteries and kill the social services in our country, brah. Henry VIII, bad wives. It's your own damn fault, Henry VIII. <laughs> own damn fault. That's all I got. That's a quarter two queens. I think. That's, well. It's a quarter two queens for now. Whew. Love that story. Yeah, thank you, Lisa. Yeah, Lisa, Holy thanks. Holy cat. That was fun. Thanks for that reminder. We do often say things on our show and then forget we've said all them. All the time. So, um... Now, I've got a thousand threads and they all bubble up. Like nothing ever goes away. It's just what sort of rises to the surface. Lisa, your email was most welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed doing that to get myself out of the tragedy of Dominique Dunn for a few hours this morning. So I can always muster some indignant fury of a thousand sun rage against... Pratt Wanker Asshole King Overlord, Hank 8. Hank, you're 8. I love it. I hope that Google Docs has fixed whatever is wrong with it today because... I'll see what happens. I have a super awesome loose women's story that I would really like to write. Spiderwebs this week, we are going to go to the Paul Byrne J.C. Bring House in Benedict Canyon, as well as Falcon Lair, I think. And a special little double bonus for y'all on Wednesday. So that. That is your Trashy Tutor tidbits today. Sorry. Thanks. Boom. Thanks for letting us make a little accommodation. Thank you, Lisa, for the great idea. Let us know what else we may have mentioned that we're going to do that we haven't. And uh, until we talk again, keep those hands clean. Wear a mask. Uh, Get your vaccination shots scheduled. Keep your hearts trashy. We love y'all. Have an amazing week. For sure. White Hot Rage, Henry VIII. Die. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Keep it trashy. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacey and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's sydneyvsmith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram. And definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again, everybody, for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.